I'm David Madsen, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Today I'm speaking with Jason Navarro. Jason's is an inspiring story of a guy from a modest upbringing who was hungry for and made the most of every opportunity that came his way. And once he realized how his niche skills and passions intersected with a career opportunity, he's worked tirelessly building a comfortable life for himself and his family. Let's connect with Jason and see how he's doing. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm good, my brother. So how was your day? You know what? Woke up, got an email from my partner. We got to make this thing happen. I'm like, dude, I'm in the toilet. Come on, man. You know? <laughs> so I'm texting him while I'm in there. Then we finally had our call, gave him all the information he needed. Then I went to the gym, believe it or not. And just got back. Yeah, you know, that, that's what our lives are. But it's always good to be busy. That, that means you got something going on, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Your problems could be had. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go. So, Jason, so where did you grow up? And uh, like, what, was, what were you up to before you came to Kamehameha? You know what? I grew up in Red Hill. I don't know if you, you know where that is. You know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, by Kaiser. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, exactly, by Kaiser. So Red Hill, low-income housing. Um, the cool thing there was, you know, a lot, I had a lot of family members that lived there because mm-hmm. I'm an only child, right? Yeah. And so I never felt that way because of the fact that all my cousins were around there. And, and you know how it is, man. It's a big extended family. I, I know how it is, yeah. And, and the cool thing there is the neighborhood kids. There were a ton of kids, right? And so we always had this battle with, uh, with the, the, um, the military because there was Red Hill and then right next across was all the military housing. Mm-hmm. So you'd see a battle where we'd be playing football, basketball, whatever it was. It was the local boys from Red Hill and then the military folks, you know, kids from uh, stuff. And we'd meet up. And what was cool was it was we'd be playing that, those games, but it was all ages, Mm-hmm. There'd be, you know, fourth grader, sixth grader, eighth grader, high school kids, and they were all on the same team, mm-hmm. right? And it was just like a brawl kind of thing where, you know, like it got rough, right? So it, it was like, so that's what I kind of grew up with where it was kind of cool where, where we were all accepting, you know, messing with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and just growing up like, you know, like normal kids. And, it, and the cool thing was in the back, there was all these grass stuff where, uh, it wasn't uncommon for us to come home and there'd be cops because they found stuff up there. <laughs> so it was kind of cool where, where I think kids miss that today because everything's so controlled and, sure. and you know, parents got to be there, helicopter parents, right? Sure. I was on my own, man, because my, my, my parents worked from six to six. Uh-huh. When I came home from school, we, we would build tree houses with ropes and we're jumping down. We're doing moss sliding, right? So was, was dinner like... Um, at your aunt's house or your cousin's house or something like that a lot of the times? That or my, my parents when they came home, okay. right? So it'd be late. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was just like, you know, friend's house, this. Now, the negative was you got into a lot of trouble because, you know, kids, 
too much time in their hands, idle time. time. Yeah. Oh, no parents till six, six thirty. <laughs> oh my God! So yeah. we got into a lot of trouble that way when you're home for four hours and you're young and you're like, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I grew up, man. Do you remember any kids offhand that that really kind of left an impression on you from back back then? One was because he was the leader of, of the, our crew, right? He was the oldest one. And whenever we, uh, you ever watch the show uh, Outsiders? Yeah, yeah. Remember with Patrick Swayze and those guys? Yeah. He was the Patrick Swayze. I was. Right? Yeah. He was like, he was like the, the, you know, the, the greasers against the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the preppies, right? The preps or whatever. So we were the greasers. We were the poor kids from, you know, Red Hill. <laughs> and he was our Patrick Swayze. And he went to Kamehameha too. Like when I was a, uh, uh, you know, like seventh or eighth grade, he was a senior at Kamehameha. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, so he actually went to Kamehameha. So he was sort of our leader kind of guy. The other one, because he looked out for me. When we I were freshmen, he was a senior. But he looked out for me. He he, he kind of did because, you know, I came in loudmouth, you know, different school, trying to, you know, get attention because, you know, you know, came to Kamehameha freshman year, you know. <laughs> bring you back memories, yeah, because you know you're just young and just like ambitious and just kind of you know. You know That's a good word to put, ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. A positive spin on everything yeah. I say, you know. Is <laughs> very overly zealous. <laughs> overly zealous, yes. Oh, but it was funny because when we were young, he didn't like me, and I used to tease him. Right. I used to tease him and I was faster. So I'd be like, eh. I take off like a little like and then one day he caught me and he just laid me out where, you know, you lost Aaron. Oh, okay. I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And after that, we became friends and he actually looked out for me. But, you know, it took a while where I used to tease him and then I'd run because he couldn't catch me like, ah. when he caught me, I was like, oh, I'm never doing that to that dude again. Laid me out <laughs> well pure respect you know being that he was a respected senior like he, he was able to call the dogs off <laughs> jason entered chaos in eighth grade and he reflects back to some of those experiences he's had including a lesson he learned from a friend um so how did you get into kamehameha then from that and um, when did you enter uh freshman year so I actually interviewed seventh grade or sixth grade. I forgot what it was because there were like two. Like it was sixth grade and I think eighth grade, right? Where you can get into high school. Yeah. The first time I didn't get in. Mm -hmm. um, then the second time I got in. Inter cool. Yeah. So I, I think I, I nailed it on the interview. Plus, you know, at that time, I think I, mean, I, mean, I was reaching out to the more low income type families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, luckily I got in at eighth grade. So that, that was cool. Do you have any fond memories of high school actually you know what it was with Keahi where there was a, a school that came in you know and stuff you know like shouting at him ah! you know what whatever it is what we were doing he's like we got more class than that kind of stuff right and you know he's our quarterback right so it's like you know and so something that small was like yeah why am I doing that you know where that was like a lesson where you know we're better than this you know we got to represent our school well and, you know, here I am, you know, thinking it's cool, oh, you know, doing whatever, right? And mm -hmm. yeah, he just gave me that look like, dude, why? And I couldn't answer it. Uh, I don't know why, you know? 
So to me, that, 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 that I still remember that, like, you know, why am I doing that? So, so it was, it was kind of cool that, you know, somebody who was your peer kind of made you look into the mirror and yeah. say, dude, don't, don't be pulling that kind of stuff. He was mature before his time. What? What kind of mementos have you kept from high school? Or they used you know to what? Pictures and letters. Those letters are the, what's that? Letters from who? Friends. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I have yearbooks and all that stuff, you know, but no. Mm -hmm. It's at my mom's place. Like when I move, I don't like carrying a lot of stuff. So I guarantee you, I have a lot of those mementos. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. How do you think our classmates would remember you from high school? Oh, God. Oh, God. Do I even want to know? Um, goof off. <laughs> Didn't take anything seriously, which is true. That's why I think I told you on our last conversation, I have a lot of regret that I didn't take advantage of all that Kamehameha had to offer. You know, because I did think, yeah, I don't need this stuff. You know, I want to be doing something else. I'm too cool for school. You know, so I just goofed around and just didn't take anything seriously, which is right. Um, that's why I still don't know how I got the B's, right? But when it was time, because it was like, I, I still got a pass. I do my work, but for the most part, yeah, I goofed around, man. You, you know how it was. So, so you got B's in high school. That's awesome. Put it this way. This is how I was so not into school, and, and I wish I could take all that back. Mm -hmm. And you know how uh, some of the top folks in our class, they were saying where they were going, right? Like what colleges, because they were like the top of our class, right? Sure. And it was like, you know, in, in our uh, gymnasium, they were all in the front. I told my wife, I was in the back, and I don't know if I was with Barboza and those guys. And then, uh, you know, people going, oh, this person's going to West Point. This person's going to Harvard. I'm like, ah, oh. it's like, we're the losers. <laughs> I, I started out, I started out at community college. I didn't even apply to college um, until the, like the very end of high school. I'm like, oh yeah, think about being seniors. You're actually, yeah. you actually gotta do this. Oh. So that's how it works. <laughs> I did the same thing, man. It was like everything was last minute. Like, yeah. Oh, man. You got it to Menlo, right? You got it to Menlo straight out of high school? Straight out of high school. You know, so, so it's not like a big culture shock, small school. My first two years, Dave, mm -hmm. I was on academic probation because I wasn't going to class. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wasn't. I wasn't going to class. I was just partying all the, all the time. And I was ready to be sent back home. So I was at a crossroad, like, what am I going to do? Right. And by the time I graduated, I had like 3.2, which was, woo! Sweet. You, know, you could have one of your former teachers be the mm. teacher of one of your kids. Which teacher would that be and why? Don Thomas. He, he was my college professor, right? Um, the thing I love about that guy is, number one, he knew his stuff. Um, he cared about the kids, he talked to you like an adult. He did it not because he needed it. This guy was like independently wealthy because he was like the youngest VP ever at Cisco. At like 26, he was a VP. You know, he was on your side. He was the one who got me into recruiting, actually. Mm -hmm. he, he's on your side, never talked down to you, talked to you like we were the same level, mm -hmm. right, which I respected. And he taught real world kind of stuff. When we had our first test, he says, you know what? My tests are all open book. I'm like, what? You know, you can bring whatever you want. But understand there's a time frame because in the real world, you can use whatever resources you need 
to cut to finish that project or whatever it is you're doing. So if you don't do a good job, you know, putting your notes together, you know, doing pre-reading where you're trying to do it all during the test. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you how you do it. But in the real world, everything is accessible to you to make that thing, to make that project happen or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And so that's how we taught. It was all about real world application. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think schools don't teach enough of that. Yep. Like, you know, I, I kept in touch with him. I was in the Bay Area. I haven't since then. So I, I, I'm trying to find them because just to thank them, like, you know what? I don't think she realized that the impact you made. What hasn't changed about you since high school, Jason? I still don't, you know, uh, take things too seriously. And I think that's what keeps me sane. Because if you, you know, let all the crazy things that happen and just carry it in, the, in your back, that's where I think you get all, a little crazy, right? Where, you know what? That thing happened. Okay, fine. Move on. So... I try to keep things light and not to be, you know, I, I'm very good at compartment, compartmentalizing. Yeah, compartmentalizing. Yeah, yeah. No yes. <laughs> but I'm very good at doing that because, you know, if you, I, I don't know, if you, if you don't have that skill set sometimes, you get overwhelmed. Yeah, you right? persist right over stuff that don't matter, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's a strength of mine that I'm glad I still kept. Yeah, where I yeah. keep things light and don't take things too seriously. I mean, you got to take things seriously, but don't let it overwhelm you. Sure, yeah. sure. So thinking metaphorically about it, how would you describe what it is you do without saying it outright? I place C-level executives into high-tech companies. Is this a job that it suits working anywhere you are so you don't have to necessarily show up at an office nine to five Correct. or anything the only time i really leave the house is when i'm meeting a new client mm -hmm. now that was pre-covid where you know i'd meet them for coffee dinner lunch whatever it is because they want to you know if they're going to give you this search because we're not cheap you know yeah they want to look you eye to eye where where you know because we're like lawyers in some ways where there's two types of recruiters, right? There's the folks where you only pay them if they deliver, right? And then there's us because we do executive level searches. No matter what, you're paying us, right? Because it's executive level searches. These, these CEOs want to look you in the eye like, I trust that this, this person is going to deliver for me or else I'm out whatever it is they're paying us, right? So, so in many cases, when it's a new client, we got to meet them face to face. And we got to do a kickoff meeting, that kind of stuff. Pre-COVID. Yeah. Now with COVID, Zoom. 90% of our clients are referrals, right? It's not like we're coming in there where they don't know who we are, where mm -hmm. we were referred by a venture capitalist. We were re referred by other CEOs. We were referred by somebody they hired in their team saying, this is the folks we used. So there's a trusting relationship to begin there with, is. right? There is. So, so that's the good thing. Now, if it was a brand new client, I am positive don't want us to meet face to face what are some of the advisable things that, that you do to really build good rapport with a prospective client do your research mm -hmm. right before i meet with a client i get to know as much about their business as as i can so that when i'm asking questions because for a lot of these ceos they'll tell you you know when we interview people whether it's for our company or a partner like you guys the questions you guys ask sometimes are more important than the questions you guys answer. 
And so they want to see these folks understand my business. They understand my pain point. They did some research on what it is we do and what we were trying to do. They understand who our competitors are. So basically that business sense where they understand like, okay, we're working with real pros here. When they ask us something, we're like, well, we're willing to push back, right? Depending on what the business is saying, where we're called them out on their business plan Mm -hmm. saying, well, yeah, that sounds good, but... And they're like, oh, that's actually a good question. And we make them defend their business plan because these are startups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they respect that in many cases. So as long as you did your homework, you know, you did your research, you ask intelligent questions, not afraid to call them out on because, you know, a lot of these guys, they drink their own Kool-Aid. Sure. Yeah. Yes, men surrounded by. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, they drink, they drink their own Kool-Aid. So sometimes you got to you got to look up in the mirror where, hey, there's 10 other companies doing this. What makes you different? And they, these guys got more funding than you did. Yeah, and that, that, actually, that actually is good information from the good kind of outside perspectives. You know, I thought you were going to say something like, well, you got to find the best steak restaurant in town. Maybe no. buy some tickets <laughs> to, no, to the football you know what? game that weekend. <laughs> no, you know what? With these guys, because these are tech guys, like they're very transparent. Like, Like, just tell me what you can do for me. That's another thing. Right. Too many folks, when they meet these uh, tech entrepreneurs, they pump themselves up. Oh, we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And this is why. You know what? Everybody says that. They don't care. Everybody says, you know what we focus on is what we can deliver for them. You'll be surprised. A lot of folks believe that I got to pump myself up to make this person believe that I'm the best person. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not solution selling, man, because what they care about is I don't care how good you are. Oh, well, what are you going to do for me? But you know what's interesting that, that, that you said that, that even to give something away was an issue. I think we, we live in a world now where everyone thinks, well, that's too good to be true. What's the catch? There's a lot of that. Right? There's like, what's the catch? There's got to be something where, where unfortunately we live in a world where there's, there is that thought process instead of like taking it for what it is. Wow, this person wants to help. Let's yeah. let them help. You know, this person wants to give back. Instead, the first thought is, what's the catch? Yeah. Which is bad. You know, it's like, we got to change that mentality. <laughs> to remember the first job I had, the top two people in the entire company were my mentors. And they always said, you know, in, in sales, you always got to fill the top of the pun- funnel because it, it, it funnels down where you got to make X amount of phone calls, X amount of contacts, X amount of this, because it leads to that, that good outcome. But mm-hmm. if you don't have stuff at the top of the funnel, the outcome you're looking for is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. So like they instilled those great habits to me. Even today, a lot of stuff I learned from that first job, I still do where I'm, I'm almost anal about it, where, where mm-hmm. I feel like I, I didn't make enough phone calls for this one, or I didn't, I didn't do enough research for this one, where, where like I get all nervous because I have to, like, it's in my mind, I got to do all these steps to be successful in this job. And so, you know, I, I'm real grateful. You've been a salesman all your life since, since I knew back in high school. And so it's, it's in your blood, man. Yeah, so, it is. It is. I agree. <laughs> and, and, and when you're mentoring someone with that passion, the enthusiasm and the energy, that's contagious. And I'm sure that those mentors you know, loved you know, mentoring you. Over the years, you've been in this field for a long time. But yep. was, was there anything funny that, that's happened over the years with you that that you'd like to share you know what there is one where literally i went to a place right trying to meet with this client 
and I had no idea there were two people who basically had the same name. Oh, okay. And so when I asked for that, they sent me to the wrong person, right? Yeah. And so I have like an hour, half, two hour meeting, great meeting with the guy, answered every question I had, only to find out at the end, I wasn't even talking to the right guy. You're telling me we've been talking for two hours. You answered all my questions. And you're not even the right guy. He's like, I was wondering during the middle of the question, why are you asking me this? But I figured, oh, I'll go answer it anyway. <laughs> the other funny one was New York, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Where we were warned, we were warned that in New York, if they say one hour, you got one hour. And if you don't finish in that hour, people, I'm telling you, they're just going to start walking out of the meeting. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, right, right. So we actually were in the middle of our meeting and it was towards the end. And it hit an hour. Literally, people in that 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 room started leaving. Hey, we told you an hour, but people started leaving. I was like, they just literally stood up and left. <laughs> Gave me the shaka. <laughs> oh man! All right, what's a good day at work like? The thing I really love is when my candidates call me and say, "Dude, you just made a difference in my family's life, right?" Mm-hmm. Because I put them in a better situation. Or I moved their career to where they wanted it to go. So just how thankful they are. You know, I'm like, wow, I I helped do that. So Navari, so so you're kind of like Jerry Maguire then? Kind of, yeah, in many ways. Yeah, just in the tech world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's sweet. So it's fun. It's fun doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So so you've been doing this, this line of work for decades now. Since I got out of school, believe it or not. Oh, oh you're always you know, selling us on something. Yeah, on something. <laughs> always a salesman at heart. What's one or two strong lessons that you've learned over these years? From what I can gather, right? The folks that have been successful in, in this business are the folks that are willing to be really good on the unsexy part of the job right? Where the rubber meets the road, where the real work happens, where everyone loves meeting new clients, whining and dining, going to those dinners, right? You know, having those celebratory stuff, closing the deal. That's all great. But guess what? If you're not doing, willing to do the work, the real work before all that thing happens, you're dead in this business. I call it embracing the grind, Mm -hmm. right? Where where for all those things to happen, you got to make X amount of phone calls, X amount of contact, X amount of research, X amount of this. So basically, it sucks doing those. And all the stuff that recruiters don't like to do, be great at it. Because when you're great at it, that separates you. Because most recruiters, they skip those steps. So that's the lesson I learned is embrace the unsexy part of your job, mm-hmm. embrace that grind, and be really great at the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Let's hear how Jason met his wife, Laura, and how she made him an even better man. You know, what what led you to move from place to place, and then what led you to eventually lay roots in San Diego, where you are now? You know what? It was that single life. I wanted to see the world. Like, I wanted to see different parts of the U.S. You know, I still had a lot of growth to go. Even after I graduated from college, I still wasn't fully mature, man. And also, I was, I was trying to be a, a ladder climber. In order to do that, you got to take where the, 
good opportunities are, right? So I didn't let location dictate, you know, job opportunities, especially when you're early in your career, you got to just go where the opportunities are. But finally got me to uh, settle down, the wife. The wife. So where did the career take you? Oh, man. It took me from working at an agency where it was like one of those places where literally it was one of those agencies where they threw you against the wall and see who stuck a year later. Like literally the, the company I joined was they just went through people, right? And this is how I knew I was probably made for this job because that first year they probably hired like 40 something people. Only two of us stuck around at the end. It was 100% commission, right? It was one of those where my first day, literally, they gave me a phone, no training, said, start dialing. I was like, what am I supposed to say, right? Where here's some, uh, study it for about half an hour, like, you know, uh, how to pitch them working with us. And then they had like this objection book. If they say this, flip the book real quick, then come back with these, right? So I was like- It sounds like the Wolf of Wall Street. It was, it really was. I was like, holy crap seriously he's like yeah and i still remember the first phone call i made you know they could tell i was reading off a script mm -hmm. hello what is your name what title do you have what is it you you know that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then after about 15 minutes the, the the vp of engineering uh says jason can i ask you something i'm like yeah are you reading off a script uh yeah I tell you what, give me a call back and you can do it without that script. And I was like, oh. But so that's how I got started. Mm -hmm. Then I wanted to do in-house because I wanted to do the whole corporate thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got started was, you know, I started, you know, cold calling, you know, folks that I knew were looking for in-house recruiters and presenting myself. Mm -hmm. And then after I did that, the person that I replaced took me to Chicago. That's how I ended up in Chicago where she heard I did some good things at the company and said, hey, I'm trying to build a, uh, a uh, recruiting organization here. They don't know what recruiting is and they got 5,000 openings. So me and a guy who I still work with today, a guy named Sam, who I brought over to become partner at my current firm. Mm -hmm. We were two of the first two people she brought up there. So there was like five, 10 of us and we just made it happen. It was like one of the most fun days and we were putting 60, 70 hour work weeks. <laughs> right? So it was just like a bunch of single folks having the time of their lives, you know, and in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, you know. You know what? That sounds like what you're describing. It sounds like a lot of work, but the way you're describing it sounds like playtime with the boys. Oh, it was. It was. And this is the, the what was bad about it. The great thing about it was learned a lot, had some of the best times of my life. But because I grew up, it was low income housing kind of stuff. No one taught me the meaning of what money means, right? And so I should have come back with a big savings account or money to buy a house or something. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that two years, I'm like, holy crap, I broke even. Even though I didn't have to pay for housing. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay for a car because they gave us a car to get to work, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I broke even. Working 60 hour work weeks having the time of my life. So, but I almost came back broke, you know, when I should have been, I should have been investing. I should have owned a house or whatever, you know? Well, I mean, you know, you did come back with an important lesson. So it was an expensive lesson that, that you expensive. bought. Yeah. 
But the truth is, I said, I got to give my wife credit on this one. As bad as that lesson was, I'm not sure I would have learned it if it wasn't for her. She was the one to put a mirror in my face like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, what? <laughs> I had fun. <laughs> so tell me about your wife. How did you guys meet? What I tell my family or how did we really meet? <laughs> why, did you, why did you give me the, uh, the primetime 89? I'll give you both. It, it's not too bad. <laughs> I tell my uh, family we met at a library. Okay. So it sounds good, right? We actually met at a bar. Okay. Yeah. So it was one of those where, where I saw her at the bar. And I was with somebody else, right? And she was with somebody else. And I'm like, oh, wow, who, who is that? So I actually came back to that bar, but never saw her again. So, so where was this? In San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I was in Chicago, I think about a year. And then a friend of mine was getting married. So I, I flew back. So me and my other buddy, uh, a guy named Brian, who was the best man at my wedding, we were, you know, we were at Stacy's wedding and I'm like, dude, we got to get out of here, man. It's like, there's, there's nobody. I mean, you know, let's, let's go. So we went to that same bar and there she was. And that's where I came up to her and the rest is history. So, and then now I tease her. I'm like, I wonder if it really was you that I saw that all those months ago, or you just look like her. And then I just assumed it was you. <laughs> Whatever, it worked. <laughs> All right. And then, so you were still in Chicago at the time. Yep. And she was in San Fran. She was in San Fran. So was this a long, long distance relationship? So we came back and forth, back and forth. Then finally he's like, it ain't going to work. One of us got to go back. And luckily, you know, San Francisco's middle of tech world, right? So there were a ton of tech openings there. So, you know, uh, one of my buddies at Microsoft said, hey, man, we got this opening at Microsoft. And that's when I went back, finally made my way back to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, like that, that movie, uh, Godfather, The Lightning Bolt. <laughs> that's what it was for me. And then next thing you know, you know, from less than a year from meeting her, we were married. Really? Yeah. Wow. What's her name? Laura. Laura. Okay. I think you lucked out there, though. Yeah. She sounds like a winner. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. What took you guys down from uh, the San Francisco area? But what happened was we visited her father, who lived in Riverside in Southern California. Mm -hmm. But Riverside, there's nothing to do there. So when we visited, he says, hey, let's go to San Diego, you know, because there's a ton of stuff to do there. So what happened was on, on the five, when you're in San Diego, it's always packed, right? Mm -hmm. So he, so he basically said, let's go through Highway 1, which is like the coast where mm -hmm. you can see water and so forth. Yep. And when we made that turn to the coast, it was like, reminded me of like North Shore, like small shops, you know, bars and stuff. Right, there's the water. And I'm like, this reminds me of Hawaii. <laughs> so I looked at her and said, let's move here. And literally within three to six months, we were there. One of the influences your wife's had on you for the better. So how, how has she made you a better man? You know what? My, my wife, oddly enough, is one of those where she grew up being, you know, save the world. She was one of those folks, right? Save the world, tree hugger, you know, kind of person. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, before I met her, I got to be honest, I hate to almost admit this, 
I was still really out for, my, for myself, right? And part of it was I was trying to get my career going, right? So it's like, I, 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 I got to do this. But she actually helped me, you know, think about, hey, it ain't just about you. How can, what can we do to help other people? Because she's always thinking that way. But with that, she really helped me to like find that piece in myself of wanting to help others, of, of doing good, you know, that not, not just about, hey, what's in it for me, but what's in it, what can we do to help other folks? So I really credit her for that one. The one that where she really saved me where now I got like the perfect credit score is because oh, of her. Like she actually taught me responsibility, like, like wow. adult responsibility. Mm-hmm. Instead of knucklehead, being a knucklehead and going, eh, do I really need to pay that? You know? So she cleaned up my credit like big time or else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't buy a house. Like I never would own this house or anything because no one would ever give me a loan. I wouldn't give myself a loan. <laughs> For those of us raised in Hawaii, we're used to our local ways and cultural style. So moving to the mainland, there's sometimes awkward experiences as we encounter cultural differences. Jason shares some of his. So what, what were some of the misconceptions you had about what life after high school would be like? You know, growing up in Hawaii, we kind of went on Hawaii time, right? We're at 10 o'clock, 10.15, you know, 10.30, whatever it is, right? Where... When people say you make a commitment, you make a commitment. Time is valuable to these folks, right? It ain't Hawaiian time. It's their time. If you're, if, if you're not early, you're late, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, the pace of Hawaii is a little bit different, right? And it's a lot more professional, right? Where I still remember where I didn't even know how to do a tie, right? And so the first party I went to, there were actually two that you'll laugh at. Like the first party I went to, you know, everyone had a suit and I'm there in my Aloha shirt and jeans, right? And luckily, one of the parents there was really cool. I became good friends with his daughter and, you know, uh, and I became good friends with the family where he knew I was fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's all in their, you know, nice suits and stuff. And I'm there, you know, oh, man, I don't even know how to act, right? I'm from Hawaii. Yeah. And so he just took me aside. Hey, Jason, go have a beer with me. And, and I don't think so. He realized the impact it made on me, right? Mm-hmm. And then the first you know, big party, you, you know, kind of like, uh, 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 whatchamacallit, where everyone had to wear a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. And so I never wore a suit before. Mm-hmm. And so I wore one of those oak tree suits, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, it was double breasted, yeah, kind of shiny cheap ones, right? That was the store. I wore white shoes. Okay. I look like a pimp. Uh, I was, right? that's, that's exactly the word I was thinking, but I didn't want to say it. Yes. Okay. So I walked in. Fuzzy hat. Did you have the fuzzy hat too? Yeah. That's, that's the only thing missing. That's not even. So when I walked in, I was so embarrassed. Right. But I play, but in the end, people thought it was cool. Cause they thought I was just doing it on purpose, not realizing I just didn't know any better, you know, cause everyone had their nice stuff, but, but that was like a, a funny story. But the thing is, it, it's a lot more professional mm-hmm. time matters. Mm-hmm. And commitment matters where you can't take your time, you know, uh, with those commitments. Mm-hmm. And so that was a shock for me because here, you know, when people say, hey, just be here at 10, eh, be there at 10, 15, mm-hmm. 10, 30, Hawaiian time, yeah. you know, professionalism matters, mm-hmm. you know, commitment matters. Time is valuable. 
course. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how you show that, that you respect the other person. Correct. Correct. So that was a shock for me because in our, you know, in our culture, you know, you know, where I really had to change where there's that sense of urgency where not today, not tomorrow, today or yesterday. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one too, that, that everything is now, 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 quick, 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 yeah. you know, sense of urgency where we didn't have that in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So I've been at my job at Roswell for like 13 or 14 years at the same hospital as an attending Fridays. I wear an Aloha shirt. Everybody loves it. We're on Friday, baby. Aloha Friday. So, you know, Aloha shirts is it's just a matter of how you rock it. You know, yep. it, I didn't it, rock it good enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, Aloha shirt in the tech industry, you're overdressed. <laughs> Seriously, it's like t shirt and yeah. jeans or shorts. Oh, no, 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 I'm saying that that's business attire for tech. Correct. In <laughs> fact, it's funny whenever I uh, send a candidate in interviews, Mm -hmm. I tell them, do not wear a suit, jeans, polo shirt, and maybe a coat because, you know, it's still an interview, mm -hmm. but do not wear a uh, suit or before they even hear your answers, they're already out, not a cultural fit, not a cultural fit, not a cultural fit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you have to warn these guys not to wear a suit. Do you ever see yourself moving back to Hawaii at any point in your life? Yes when I retire, because, you know, nothing beats home and especially the food, man, nothing beats the food, the people, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to come back one way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah, that's happening. <laughs> that form is going to be slender and fit, right? Oh God. I don't, <laughs> Dave, I'm in the acceptance stage. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm in the acceptance state. I'm never going to get there. And I don't care, man. I'm like, yeah, I got a great wife. I'm, I'm good. Now, if something happens to her, then I got to get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kidding, honey. I don't even do cardio anymore. <laughs> even though that's probably better for me. <laughs> you know? What's the best restaurant or place to get this kind of food? What would it be? Okay. Yep. So, steak. So the best just closed down because of COVID. Mm. Uh, a place called West Steakhouse. Italian. Ooh, by my house, it is, I, I'm, a, I'm a big spaghetti guy. Mm -hmm. So Ciciati's, awesome spaghetti. Or E Truly's, better, uh, um, what's that called? Like uh, gnocchi. Like those are two of my favorite uh, uh, dishes. Indian? I don't do Indian. You got to ask my wife that one. I'll, I'll be in the bathroom all day. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaiian. You know, it's uh, Hawaiian homestyle cooking. Um, the kalbi there reminds me of Hawaii. Like the good stuff in Hawaii, they got it there. Filipino. You got to go see that. The tough part with that, you got to go all the way down to Mira Mesa. They call it Manila Mesa. Seriously. And that's like 45 minutes to an hour. Definitely Manila sunset. And what's your favorite dish to order from there? The pork skewers. Okay. Oh, that one can, that's to die for. Is it like adobo or what's the, what's the flavoring on those skewers? Oh man, barbecue. It's like, you know, barbecue where you got the soy sauce and whatever. And I don't know what sauce they put in there. 
but it is freaking awesome. So it's the pork skewers. That doesn't sound like a Filipino dish, though. Pork skewers with barbecue sauce. Not barbecue sauce. It's like teriyaki. You know, like how we used to do it in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teriyaki. Yeah, it, it's that. Now, for Filipino, then it's uh, for actually Filipino, Filipino food, then it's the lechon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> loves lechon. Yeah. Oh. But and that one is good. Do they have dinaguan there? Oh, I don't touch that, dude. Oh, you don't? Know. I have, oh, no. <laughs> I don't touch that. The only ones I really touch is like, like sinigang. Okay. And the other one is fiesta. It's basically menudo in, in Mexican. You know, that the whole tomato sauce. Okay. Stuff. And some adobo I'll do, but I don't eat too much Filipino food now, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, because I'm trying to be healthier. Because, you know, it ain't healthy, man. That's like, true. I'm a sushi guy now. I mostly eat sushi. What's your comfort food? Pork chops and uh, fried chicken with rice, right? Either pork chops with rice or fried chicken with rice. Like, I grew up with that. Got to be fried, though. Got to be good fried. Got to sell um, it just the right way. If I'm sick, I love war wonton soup. Mm. Oh, yeah. How do you eat your eggs? Over easy. When I have a toast, I dip it in that uh, yolk. Nice. You know, yeah. I like that. Yeah. How do you like your coffee? You know, I've always liked it like sweet. Like we're talking milk, 10 packets of sugar, because I'm a dipper. So it can't be bitter. Okay. It's gonna be sweet, right? So, so I'm a dipper, so it's gotta be like milk, 10 pack of sugars where it's so sweet. And I did that croissant, man. How, how did you feel about turning 50? Do you feel any different? No, I actually think the best is yet to come, honestly. Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of my dreams are about to come true where I can travel. And, and really, I think the reason I'm kind of excited turning 50 is the fact that I think a lot of the stuff I, I really want to do is right around the corner. And, you know, I just saw Matt, like, about a year ago, pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, that dude still got a full set of hair. Jamie, too. I do. I know, Jamie. Like, yeah. How the hell? I know. I'm, like, pissing me off. <laughs> I'm, like. Yeah, yeah. You know, with time, I think, you know, one by one, we'll end up having a nice kind of a clean-shaven look. Oh. <laughs> oh. You're telling me. Why do you think I'm wearing hat? <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have for those who are graduating and going on with their lives transitioning from high school to the rest of their lives you know right now from what i can see so many people make excuses right all these things that keeps people down supposedly that that you have no control over right or in the end the choices you make will determine your lot in life and what you become Right? Will there be people that's going to try to hold you down and tell you you can't do it? Absolutely. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Where if you are willing to put in the work, right, and you make more good decisions than bad decisions, you're going to have a pretty good life. How would you describe a fulfilled life, Jason? Knowing I made an impact on a few people's lives. And that I raised two great boys. I feel like, you know, by the end of my lifetime, I'm, hopefully I did enough to where I give a lot, I give a lot away mm -hmm. and not just monetary. I'm talking about just myself, like, you know, as far as my time, as far as advice, as far as 
knowledge, that kind of stuff. You know, I think then you live fulfilled. Finish the sentence for me. When I'm gone, I, I hope that I'll be remembered for. Or no matter how much it was, no matter how little that, you know, whatever it was, I gave it my all. That's what I want to be remembered for. Yeah. Well, dude, Dave, this is awesome, brother. Oh, man, it's great talking to you, Jason. Well, Dave, thank you, brother, for including me on this one. And, dude, I'm hoping to see you soon, my friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Jason Navarro, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Sean Maskell, Wendy Brown, and Kaylee Aquaro. And a special thank you to Dwayne Andres for the music and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest updates and news on upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.